Hello and welcome to Upstage the Podcast, your weekly dose of theatre news and reviews. I'm Rachel. And I'm Abby. This week we have part two of the 1950s in our musical decade series, which is very exciting, lots and lots to talk about. But first, theatre news. So the first bit of news is that Come From Away is coming to the West End. Hooray! So Come From Away has been on Broadway for a couple of years now. It's the story of a small town in Canada who after the September 11th attacks, found themselves with a lot of unexpected visitors in the form of planes that had been diverted and forced to land there. And they're basically super welcoming and friendly and uber-Canadian. Of course they are. And it's just a nice, fun, sweet show. Obviously haven't seen it, but we will now. We will see it now. It is going to be on the West End from January at the Phoenix Theatre. Some more transfer news is that Heather's The Musical is going to be transferring from The Other Palace, where it's currently running, to Theatre Royal Haymarket for 12 weeks from September to November. So this stars Carrie Fletcher and Joey Moscato and other people, and we're going to see it very, very soon, so expect a review of it. Although, of course, you know, no one's allowed to review Heather's, so... Yeah, we're not we technically allowed we'll to talk be, about it. We'll merely be commenting, <laughs> but they haven't invited reviews because... Even though it is transferring to the West End, they said that it's... It's still it's a work in progress. a work in progress. Interesting. So I don't know at what point it becomes a finished piece of work. Yeah. But we'll see. They can't keep reviewers out forever, soon. can they? There may be some casting changes for the West End transfer. They've not confirmed whether the whole cast are going to transfer with the production. TBC. Yeah. Our final bit of news is that further casting has been announced for the upcoming West End production of Company. So joining Rosalie Craig, Pat Lepone and Mel Gidroik are the male leads, Richard Fleishman, George Blagden, and Matthew Seedon Young. So they're going to be playing the gender-swapped, so the boyfriends of Rosalie Craig's character. Their gender-swapped names are Andy, PJ, and Theo. It's interesting because, obviously, I don't know how far they're going to go with like the gender-swap, because, obviously, like, Rosalie Craig's character, Bobby, has couple friends, and will the, like, the roles in those couples be swapped so that the male songs go to the women and vice versa? I so... I have no idea. We will have to see. Very excited. Because Patty Lupone is playing Joanne, and Joanne is Joanne in the original. So I wonder whether that, that those roles are not gender swapped in, it's just Bobby and 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 the boys. And the boys. Very excited that Richard Fleishman's yeah. in it though. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Love Richard Fleishman. We love Richard Fleishman more just... than you more than you know. So that was this week's news. And now just a quick review before we go on to the rest of the nineteen fifties. I went to see Dusty, the Dusty Springfield musical. Yes, it's currently on UK tour, so it's in Bath at the moment and is going on to I wanna say like Manchester and Sheffield and places like that. It's gonna it's probably around. Sounds legitimate, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I think I've been trying to think what to say about it as a show because I think it's just like wildly inconsistent, so it's very hard to review. Yeah. There were moments where I feel like what they wanted to do was to create this kind of dramatic story where it showed this side of Dusty Springfield's life that people might not be that aware of. And and it kind of wanted to go into the sort of race relations and the fact that she was basically a white woman making money off black music, basically, Mm -hmm. but trying to also, like do it nobly and help black artists and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was this weird little bit where they showed her kind of standing up against the apartheid movement in South Africa. So they were trying to do that, but it kind of never quite got there. And yeah. then, or they didn't give it the space to get anywhere. And then, you know, trying to show her romantic side. So as a, I think as far as like her, how she identified 
she came out as bi very early in her career. I think she only ever had kind of substantial relationships with women, so they kind of build on that. They have this fictional partner of hers, but I think that is meant to be a sort of amalgamation of a lot of others. So there was some stuff that was really interesting, but then they also tried to do these really kind of broad comedy bits mm. that seemed at times just really offensively dated. Yeah. And I was um, a matinee, midweek matinee, so I would say the majority of the audience were over 75. <laughs> and some of the only men, I will say, well, there was a whole section where there was some guy, and I don't know if he was meant to be like a famous TV presenter or comedian at the time, but was just making really horrendously sexist jokes. And I was like, are we meant to be laughing at him? Because the old men in the audience, a lot of them are laughing with him, which uh, is just incredibly awkward. No. So I was just like, I don't know why they did that. So it was like this weird thing of like, sometimes it felt like like a pantomime. And yeah. then sometimes it felt like they were trying to make this really deep show about, you know, hiding who you really are and living with mental illness and all that. But they just mm-hmm. kind of did, they jumped from one bit to another. So she was really successful. Then suddenly she was an alcoholic. Then suddenly she was better. Then suddenly she was in a psychiatric hospital because she'd been self-harming. And afterwards I was like reading Dusty Springfield's Wikipedia because that's what I do after I see these things. And she was diagnosed with schizophrenia and stuff. And she had, you know, a lot of problems throughout her life that they just kind of didn't quite give enough time. I will say the woman who plays Dusty, Catherine Kingsley, I thought she was excellent. She has a gorgeous voice and just kind of nailed every performance. But it was just the balance of it was weird. And then at the end, I mean, spoiler alert, she dies. That death scene, to be fair, amazing. Like... You could hear the heart, like 90% of the auditorium in tears. It was a really amazing death scene. So there were moments that were done really well. I was like, why isn't the whole show like this? Yeah. And the second act, I thought, went a bit more on the dramatic side and did a lot better with it. Mm. It just, to me, was like, this is... The people in that auditorium, there were these two women with their husbands, I think, in front of us, mm. who were having the best afternoon. Yeah. They loved it. Every time a song came on, they kind of looked at each other and were just kind of like bopping along. Just yeah. like... They were loving it and they were in floods of tears, standing away yeah. to the end. But it's like, because people have this emotional connection to the artist, yeah. they don't have to bother to make it a good show. So I would say, yeah, it was a shame that it just was a very frustrating... I think Dusty Springfield deserved better than that show is giving her. And I, it will not appeal to anyone who's not a Dusty Springfield fan already. Dusty Springfield like had some really great songs and seemed like a great woman, but you just... This show is not is not going to convince people of that, which is a shame for her, but she's dead. <laughs> which is really <laughs> sad for her. I mean, that is sad. That is a great way to end the Dusty Springfield <laughs> segment. It's a shame for her, but she's dead. So at least she doesn't know about it. I just hope there's no afterlife. Anyway, 1950s, golden age, good theatre. Let's start with talking a little bit about The Pajama Game, which came out in 1954. The Pajama Game was adapted from a 1953 novel called Seven and a Half Cents by an American writer, which is based on his experience running his family's business. So it's set in and around a nightwear factory, a pajama factory. It focuses on the relationship between Sid, who is a new factory supervisor, and Babe, who is a union organiser. So the workers are battling management for a seven and a half cent pay rise. So it starts in the nightwear factory, ends up at a pajama fashion show. There's also quite a famous nightclub sequence. This was written by George Abbott and the music lyrics were by Richard Adler and Jerry Ross. Although some people actually believe that two of the best and most famous songs, There Once Was a Man and A New Town is a Blue Town, 
were actually written by Frank Lesser, who wrote Guys and Dolls. Adler and Ross had worked with Lesser before. And we'll come on to Adler and Ross's other musical, which was Damn Yankees, in a second. Sadly, they didn't get to have much more of a prolific musical writing career because Jerry Ross died just 29 of a lung problem. Did more in his 29 years than most people do. Than either of us have. I mean, well, in our approaching we've got, 29 years. We've, we've got, got a few years left. We've got a few years left. Who knows what could happen? I could write two Broadway shows in that time. So yeah, one of the big showstoppers in Pajama Game is Hernando's Hideaway, which is the, the big nightclub number. And one of the biggest features of Pajama Game is the female chorus. So there's the girls on the production line and... They are very, very strong and feisty and they have some of the best songs and lines. And Babe, the lead character, was very popular and kind of continues to be in any revivals of this. She's a very kind of morally principled person and generally kind of wins over people's hearts. It's Um, unusual that like the women dominate the show, like for a show of the 1950s. Definitely. One very prominent woman whose career started in the Broadway production of The Pajama Game was Shirley MacLaine. So she was actually understudy to Carol Haney, but there's a, you know, the kind of classic story that Haney suffered an injury and Shirley MacLaine went on in her place. And it was during a performance that she was spotted by a Hollywood producer. The Broadway production won three Tony Awards, one of which Carol Haney got the best performance by an actress in a musical. It also featured won actress. featured actress, you're right. I am right. It also won the Tony for Best Musical and Bob Fosse won the Best Choreography Award. So Adler and Ross's other show was Damn Yankees, also based on a novel which is called The Year the Yankees Lost the Pennant. So it's a baseball story. But these sports keep sports out of musicals as far as I'm concerned. So this musical is set in the 1950s when the New York Yankees were dominating Major League Baseball. It's set in Washington, D.C. It centres on a fan of the Washington Senators. I assume they're the Washington baseball team. He trades his soul in return for the chance to be a player for the Washington Senators. Amazing. The devil in this show, in the form of a man called Mr. Applegate, he tries to tempt Joe Boyd from his wife with a dancer... And have him prosecuted for fraud. God, the devil is not playing around, is he? The deal, so the deal that he comes to with Joe is that Joe can keep his soul if he withdraws from this deception of being on this team at the last minute, which he manages to do, but still secures victory for his team. What a story. I mean, to be honest, until I heard that, I did not really know what Damn Yankees was about. And now you want to see it, don't you? Genuinely a lot more than I have ever wanted to see it in the past. Damn Yankees also did very well in the Tonys. It won seven Tony Awards in 1957, including Best Musical, Best Performance by a Leading Actor, and Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical, Best Performance of a Featured Actor in a Musical, Best Conductor and Musical Director, Best Choreographer, again for Bob Fosse, and the Best Stage Technician. Is that still a Tony Award? I don't Award? think that's Because still a thing. that should be. That's lovely, isn't it? This is a show that is revived quite a lot over the years. It sort of thrives in small-scale productions. So it comes to the West End. It's also been off West End in kind of fringe theatre productions. And it's sort of unique, I guess, in theatre because of the way that it combines sport and dance and just sport and musicals generally. There aren't many sports musicals other than our favourite, the classic, Bend It Like Beckham, which obviously we absolutely love. But let's say there are very, very few that do it well. 
In fact, possibly only damn Yankees. Possibly only damn Yankees. Sadly, yeah, that was that was all Adler and Ross. They were the only two Adler and Ross musicals. That's a real shame. It is really sad. The next musical that we have to talk about is My Fair Lady. So again, this is based on something else. This is based on a 1912 play called Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw, which was turned into a film in 1938 and actually won the Oscar for Best Screenplay at the time. So the guy who turned the play into the film was a Hungarian producer called Gabriel Pascal. He also saw the play's potential as a musical. So Pascal approached Alan J. Lerner, who wrote the book for My Fair Lady. He was interested, but he was sort of struggling to make the musical work without a central love story. The project got abandoned, actually, until after Pascal died in 1954 and Lerner sort of went back to the project and with his collaborator, Frederick Lowe, he revised the plot and wrote the music and it became the phenomenon that it is today. I will say, like, I think My Fair Lady has obviously a lot of merit, but the fact, the amount of changes they... I think as a standalone show, My Fair Lady is, like, fine, whatever... But as an adaptation of Pygmalion, they made so many changes that it just really pisses me off watching it. <laughs> like, I just get so annoyed that there's any, like, romantic thing with Henry Hick. Like, I'm just like, Eliza would not. I enjoy that little rant very much. I just really hate it. Pygmalion, masterpiece. My Fair Lady, just... And, I, like, sure, they wanted a romance, whatever. It's easier to sell that way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not like they called it Pygmalion the musical. Like, I, I'm aware that I should, like, not be as bothered by this in any I way. I think you shouldn't be as bothered by this. Treat it as a separate thing. It's two different Elizas. Yeah, yeah, but it's not. So, My Fair Lady is about Eliza Doolittle, who is considered too uncouth to work in an actual flower shop. So she sells small bouquets to passers-by. She meets Professor Henry Higgins and his friend, Colonel Pickering. They sort of see her as something that needs to be improved upon. And Higgins claims that he could trick anyone into thinking that she was a lady if he gave her the proper training. Eliza is determined to find a better life for herself, so she goes back to Higgins and agrees to this sort of deal. So the the bet is that can Higgins fool people into thinking that Eliza is actually a lady? And so the show is about this training that Eliza goes through and whether she'll be able to sort of refine herself. And then, obviously, Higgins is sort of falls in love with Eliza and his repressed feelings for her. He sings a lot of songs about that. He sings a song called... I've grown accustomed to her face. And for some unknown reason, she ends up going back to him. So there's really great songs that are kind of classics on the street where you live. For all its, you know, sins, get me to the church on time. I could have danced all night. Wouldn't it be lovely? There's, yeah, there are some really lovely songs and kind of classic musical theatre moments. We should also just mention the film adaptation, which of course starred Audrey Hepburn as Eliza Doolittle. It's a widely acclaimed and widely loved adaptation of the musical, so definitely give that a watch. We should also say that My Fair Lady did win six Tony Awards, Best Musical, Best Performance by a Lady and Actor in a Musical, Best Direction, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume Design, and Best Conductor and Musical Director. And then in 1957, another massive show, West Side Story, which I think... Just even saying it in this part of the time, like, surrounded by these other musicals, you can see just how much of a game-changer it was. Like, the style of West Side Story is so different to all the other shows we've talked about and just everything around at the time. So for anyone who doesn't know, although I'm sure everyone does, West Side Story is a sort of Romeo and Juliet story set in 1950s New York with these two 
gangs. The Jets, who are a predominantly white gang, and the Sharks, who are kind of mostly Hispanic, Latino. The Romeo and Juliet of this story are Tony, who is the former leader of the Jets, and Maria, who is the sister of the leader of the Sharks. And obviously both sides violently oppose these two falling in love. Oh, yeah, for sure. Doesn't necessarily end happily because, you know, Romeo and Juliet. The show kind of came about because Leonard Bernstein, who wrote the music, wanted to work the kind of Latin rhythms into a musical. So sort of the mambo and the cha-cha and stuff, Cuban influences were all worked into the songs, which I think gives this show a really unique flavour, particularly for the time. It, it kind of moved away from the more classic Broadway sound. We should also mention that the lyrics for this show were written by Stephen Sondheim. This was his first big show he was sort of an unknown at the time and he became an overnight success for his work on West Side Story and obviously we'll talk about it'll talk extensively about Sondheim's musicals going forward again a shit ton of famous songs so many famous songs in this one there's Somewhere there is I Feel Pretty Tonight Tonight One Hand One Heart America America, Something's Coming Maria a boy like that we just just have a love every song every song pretty much is absolutely genius it's an incredible, incredible score. The lyrics are fantastic. Some of Sondheim's best, I think, even oh, though yeah. it was his very earliest work. So West Side Story was nominated for seven Tony Awards, but only won three. It won Best Musical, Best Choreography for Jim Royal Robbins, and Best Scenic Design. Interestingly, I thought it would have won more than that. I definitely thought it would have done. Maybe it was just a bit too different. Before I its time, know. ahead of its time. It was ahead of its time. The film adaptation, however, won 10 Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor in a Supporting Role. So well-deserved. Such great film. I mean, problematic casting, sure. But um, Cheetah Rivera. Everybody loves Cheetah. Yeah. But, you know, so many white people playing non-white people. Yes, of course. I think it's one of the... It's a musical masterpiece. I think it's one of the greatest um, shows of, the greatest. of all time. So the last musical of the 1950s that we want to talk about, oh, there have been so many good ones, is... Gypsy, which is another Lawrence and Jules Stein and Stephen Sondheim musical. This is based on the autobiography of a striptease artist called Gypsy Rose Lee. It sort of concerns the experiences as a child of Louise and her sister June, who became a well-known actress herself, and the influence that their mother Rose had on them, and how Louise grew up and eventually moved into burlesque performance and had a real career like as an independent lady. Gypsy Rose Gypsy Rose Lee. So Jerome Robbins was the original director and choreographer of this. He insisted on working with his West Side Story colleagues, Arthur Lawrence, as the book writer. And it was Lawrence who kind of spotted this theme, the idea of parents who live their children's lives. So he was the one who kind of spotted that as a core theme of this story. I think all the kind of most famous moments from Gypsy as a show are those moments. It's very much controlling mother, but... yeah. You know, she's putting so much onto these kids. Absolutely. Yeah, I just think that's... It's the original stage mum story. It really is. Like yeah. The original and worst. Lawrence joined the team and he brought Sondheim with him. And it's a great score. I think it's a great score. There's some really famous songs. There's Rose's Turn. Everything's Coming Up Roses. In the role of Rose is kind of really iconic... Yeah, it's attracted um, some really big stars over the years. Yeah, and for good reason. Like, those are big numbers, and you've got to have, like, a real command of the stage. People who've played the roles included Angela Lansbury, Bette Midler, Bernadette Peters, Pat Lapone, and um, recently in the West End, Imelda Staunton, who I think won just about every award going for it. it she was incredible, um, at, absolutely incredible. Yeah, 
really amazing. Yeah, so it's a really, really amazing role, complex and nuanced for an actress of a certain age. Mm -hmm. So while the score for Gypsy is really, really strong, I think one of its biggest achievements was being sort of a real book musical. So obviously the songs are great, but it doesn't hang on these big numbers or these big set pieces. The book is really, really strong. The story is really strong. The spoken parts are just as impactful as the big musical numbers, which isn't necessarily the case for many musicals. Surprisingly, it didn't actually win any Tony Awards, but it was nominated the same year as The Sound of Music. It was a very strong time for musicals. It was was tough. It got all the nominations you'd expect. There was a lot of good stuff around at the time. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed the Imelda Staunton adaptation, and you can, they did film that, Mm. and you can buy that on DVD. Definitely worth doing, because Imelda was great. Laura Pulver was great. I think it's also on Broadway HD. I think it's on Broadway HD as well. Yeah, so you can, I think, get a free trial for that, or you can kind of rent productions for a certain amount of money and then watch them online for a certain amount of time. Definitely worth doing, because she was incredible. One of the best performances I've ever seen Yeah, in a musical. I'd agree. So that is the end of the 1950s. The 1960s are going to be just as busy. You'll probably have to split that into two parts as well. Just so, so much to talk about, so much good stuff. And it's just going to keep getting busier and busier, isn't it? It as we, sure is. As we get towards the modern age. Ball bulletin. I, I had a quick look on Michael's Twitter. Oh, yes. And I think he's just really enjoying the World Cup and Love Island. Oh, That's so am I. About. Me and Michael are basically the same person. If we met, we'd I mean, have so much to talk about. Any other business? I don't know. I don't have anything notable to discuss. I've nearly finished my book, The Fact of a Body, which has got really, really good towards the end. Really interestingly written and how she weaves the two separate factual narratives together to make a story is very very interesting i've also still just been watching a load of love island because gotta get that drama so next week we'll have the beginning of the 1960s and we'll also have a review of heather's musical at the other palace which we're both very excited about so lots of good stuff to look forward to indeed thank you for listening and we'll see you next week bye bye